Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. My name's Tim Clare and this is a show about writing for writers, for readers and for anyone with a morbid fascination with how the story sausage is made. On this show we have three, count them, three central planks to our writing manifesto. Plank the first to help you write more, plank the second to help you write better and plank the third to help you be a little bit happier as you do those things. Today's episode is going to be a writing ramble, which is <laughs> unplanned, uh, off the chain, unleashed tim clare unedited even i'm not even gonna edit out my ums i'm not gonna edit out my your nose i'm not gonna edit out my liberal peppering of likes not in the comparative sense but as a spacer in conversation as a little oral disfluency um, but what I am going to do is talk about a specific subject. Normally, I often, when I do a, a, a writing ramble, and you haven't listened to these before, this might not be the most polished way to introduce yourself to the show because I do uh, interviews with other authors and people related to publishing. And I also do episodes where I feedback on listeners' first pages which you can still send to me by the way by going to my website timclairpart.co.uk clicking on the contact me link and just sending me the first 250 words of your super polished wonderful best work you can absolutely do novels or story and i'm you know i occasionally do shows on that pick one and 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 feedback on them i'm, I'm not super i don't really filter for quality i don't find like the best that i can do i just uh, I just pick them up uh, as I find them in a pretty disorganised way and give feedback and try to suggest ways that you might make it better. And I'm also plucking ones from the Death of a Thousand Cuts Discord forums. There we've got a uh, public crit uh, thread or uh, group within it and people share their work there and I, I, I've been occasionally picking ones from there more or less at random. Anyway, uh, today's episode, I, I wanted to talk about something that came up in the in the Discord server as a question, uh, which was a, a brief discussion on imposter syndrome as a writer. And I came crashing in and said, hey, 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 folks, maybe, maybe daddy should sort this out. Maybe you want to hear from the big man, old Timmy C. Timmy C, who... Uh, has written a few books and has a little bit of a podcast on this subject. Maybe I could, maybe I could step in and clear this up. No, I mean the, the, the discussion was really good, uh, and I always feel slightly bashful that I'm stepping in and going, "Hey, do you want to hear the ex cathedra pronouncement from?" Uh, I'm not. I'm not. I was going to call myself the writing pope, but I, I don't think I, I. Not even. I'm not even a deacon. Not even. Maybe a. Maybe some kind of... Is it a purser? Do they have pursers in churches? I don't really know the difference between the structure of the Roman Catholic Church and the C of E. Uh, but, yeah, I'd probably be some... I'd be you know, involved in some... I might sweep the vestry. Perhaps I would be a... Not a priest, but a vicar. A village vicar in a an ailing parish with, you know, a dwindling... Con Congregations are always dwindling, aren't they? They never reduce. They 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 never they they never go down. They're always dwindling. Dwindle. Dwindle's a lovely word, isn't it? 
You know, maybe and maybe if they grow, then then they burgeon, but they but they they dwindle, don't they? Congregations in church. So I'd be there in my pulpit, looking down at my dwindling congregation. In many ways, I am right now, right? And uh, and and they'd be and and, and they'd be a, an odd selection of of human beings. I think the C C of E attracts. Uh, a variety of characters, uh, some of whom are very sweet misfits, uh, into its, uh, it, uh, which is you know what I think a community should do really. But I imagine I wouldn't re- really have the luxury of picking my parishioners. So be be a, a, a motley collection of of weirdos. Uh, I'm not suggesting that this is who the main audience for this podcast is. Although if you are listening to me. Uh, you probably do come under you i mean you are statistic you are a statistical anomaly as human beings go so in a sense in perhaps the most literal definition of the word weird you are weird i'm you know it's it's, it's not a pejorative term but if you listen to tim clare talk about books that is a throughout human history that has been an ex- extraordinarily rare experience and here we are and and you're all all looking up at me, the vicar. Let's just let's just step into the analogy clown suit and zip it up at the back, as I as I deliver increasingly deranged and non-canonical sermons, rambling, bizarre sermons that makes even the even the hardcore of credulous parishioners shuffle uncomfortably and wonder when I'm going to get back to the whole the whole bible stuff you know what's t- tim reverent the reverent tims that was a character in person okay I'm not going to just free associate through words that sound like each other I want to talk about imposter syndrome because it seems to me that certainly within the uh within the forum there was a few people who'd experienced it who, who felt that they experienced something like it and I've seen it mentioned a lot and I'm sure I've talked about writer uh, you know, the writer qua identity, this idea of being a capital A author and my issues with that. But I thought maybe I'd sort of just rotate the canon towards imposter syndrome dead on because perhaps in the way I've talked about it before, if you've not listened to those episodes, I think some of these topics are evergreen and we can always go back to them. But let's deal with imposter syndrome directly because what I've got to say here is going to be aimed at writing and the author life and all these things. But I think it's by no means restricted to being an author, being a writer, doing any of these kind of activities. I think it is a I think the things I'm going to talk about here are probably general truths that one can extrapolate from this and apply across a broad range of scenarios. Uh, so I hope it's going to be useful, but I don't know what I'm going to say yet, so it might not be <laughs> exciting. Let's ride this rattling and rusty roller coaster together and see if the track's been finished. And if not, then we will go screaming into the abyss together 
with a Thelma and Louise style. Uh, And it will be heroic and wonderful. Look, so a few people have said that they sometimes feel like an imposter. Imposter syndrome is this idea that you feel like a fraud who has kind of conned your way into whatever occupation or role you are in. And at some stage you will be found out. You don't really know what you're doing. I mean, fundamentally, it's about a mismatch between your internal experience and how you feel like you are perceived or how you feel, the image you feel you are attempting to project to the world. Is how I would describe imposter syndrome in a in, in a general viewpoint. Because we talk about it, and I, I know you know what imposter syndrome is. I, I know I wasn't talking about it, and it, it seemed like some nebulous, recondite concept. But let's just—I I think it's important to nail down our terms first, so we can be precise. You know, I do like precision, right? So, imposter syndrome is specifically this idea that there is a a mismatch between your internal experience and self-perception and how you feel you're seen externally and and how you maybe you present yourself and the way uh, the roles that you put yourself in in your external identity and i would say also in addition imposter syndrome is not but that mismatch has to be uh in your favor socially if that makes sense you you it can't it, we would never say you had imposter syndrome if like everybody thought you were really shit but you knew you were brilliant that that would just be being treated like crap or being underappreciated right you wouldn't feel like an imposter there has to be a sense that other people may be incorrectly or certainly a majority of other people, maybe one or two people you feel see have pierced your cloak of shadows, but the majority of people have gone along with the con, or have not have not quite pe- have not quite peered at your disguise and lifted the hood to see the face beneath, and they uh, buy into it. You're, you're doing this stuff, and you feel like at any stage you're going to get. A tap on the so- on the shoulder, a tap from the bony finger, and there will be death uh, ready to take you away. You feel like you're going to be found out, or at least you just feel like a hamster in a ro- in a, a in a piloting a robot suit, a human sized robot suit, and eventually you'll be caught out and. For there to be, let's break this down a little bit. I, I think, like, well, for, before we go further, like, why is this a problem? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to go. Yeah, you. Are, I mean, look, we could, we can, we can go, come at this from a bunch of angles, right? And I think they're all important. And I think talking about imposter syndrome is important, but you know it's not it's not it's not frivolous to be worried about it it's not frivolous to have feelings about your writing if we had no no emotional valence when we thought about our writing or art or making stories 
then it would be fine to do it, but it would probably be, be about as important as, you know, sweeping the garden path, which is an activity I enjoy, right? But I don't feel my identity isn't wrapped up in it. It's it's important because it can make the garden path look nice. If the garden path isn't swept, it's not going to make a huge difference. If I'm if I'm uh, if I was world number one at path sweeping, if I was uncontestably the best path sweeper in the world I think like it wouldn't I, I have no emotional reaction to that more than being completely shite at it it doesn't matter to me none of nothing that matters to me I wouldn't think think less of someone else for being a great path sweeper I'd go oh that's cool wow that person's shit hot at sweeping paths but I wouldn't I wouldn't feel like a, a pet. I wouldn't feel like a, a knife twisting in my heart. Like, why can't I be like that? I mean, you know, I probably, you know, when you see someone be really, really, really good at a task, n- no matter what that task is, you know, I, I've seen those videos of people just being shit hot at, I don't know, like bailing hay or something or plastering a wall and they're just doing it really quickly or skillfully. And also, like, I don't have the context to know whether they're actually doing a bollocks job of plastering that would have to be redone by someone else so clearly I'm not great and and, and and actually let's put a pin in that my perception of how good they are at plastering versus the reality if you were a plasterer or watching that let's put a pin in that because you might be onto something there but you know I, I'd kind of go that's it's cool seeing someone be good at something and it might be very satisfying to them but like I wouldn't it doesn't affect my identity it's just a human activity that is happening and great wonderful i'm happy for them and it's great to see humans being good at stuff but i wouldn't if someone was shite at bailing hay i wouldn't go well that's a that's a that's a blot in their copybook that makes them a less worthwhile less moral person i'm less interested in talking to that person because they're rubbish at sweeping paths i don't i don't care it's not a it's not a a metric that i think is in any way useful i mean we do have these biases i've sometimes talked about in psychology the halo effect that if we see someone who's attractive we imagine that they are more skilled in other domains uh, or if someone's skilled in a domain we imagine that they are prejudices that we they will be really good in lots of other areas as well so someone's like a neuroscientist is a kind of classic one that we imagine that they must be really good at then if they start making statements about genetics or pulmonary biology we go, oh, well, yeah, I guess they know that. They're a neuroscientist. They're a clever science person. And maybe they kind of start talking about sports science. And, and maybe they're talking about, you know, gut bacteria and digestive science and things like that. And we go, yeah, well, I guess they must know. They must know what they're talking about. And, and, and maybe they don't. And then maybe they're talking about politics or something. And we imagine, well, yeah, this is a neuroscientist talking about this. So maybe they know. And, and, and you know, actually, hmm, not necessarily true. So, We've got this idea that y- you have to be, you have you have to feel internally that you are worse at the thing, and it only really is going to come up in domains where you care about it, like writing, right? So I'm just saying it's okay for us to have this discussion and admit to it, and not do this continual thing of pretending that we feel fine about writing we're allowed to talk about it and it doesn't make you any lesser a person to not be all stiff upper lip and, and rugged and have no that there be a, no emotional tone 
between relating to you and your writing on different days and that and that to be fluid because you're a human being with circumstances and a brain with certain mindsets and other things going on in your life and a biology and all of those things and people will get you know very fussy about bringing biology into emotions but like you haven't slept if you're on your period right then if you have been eating badly these are all biological things that can affect your emotional reaction to something not everyone to the same extent some people are very good at coping with limited or poor quality sleep others of us like me are are delicate delicate little i was going to say orchids but i think that implies that i'm some beautiful rare thing and i I, of course i'm unique just as you are and we're all equally valuable but i'm so psychically frail when it comes to lost sleep i am so and so it doesn't always manifest in in me being depressed or grumpy sometimes i'm just like wandering up to my wife as she tries to i don't know fry an egg or pour herself a glass of orange juice and just be like i love you so much i just want to say if 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 i leave this world tonight let it be known i wouldn't want to leave it without telling you my darling you have made it all worthwhile adieu i must repair to my office to eat some pom bears and watch youtube videos you know i i i i i, I get that <laughs> incredibly sort of emotionally delicate i i i'm frail feeling from so so these can affect how we feel about our writing right if if, if we know that how you're sleeping and how you're eating and how your life's going on around you can affect it and there's there's only a there a portion of our feelings about our work we can deal with in terms of mindset and how we think about it i know the word mindset is not always welcomed by everybody it has some bad associations with ceo mentality and entrepreneur bro bullshit and pulling yourself up by your bootstraps culture and i don't like that any more than you do but the fact is we can change the way we think about things a bit and for that portion of our well-being um, we can work out better ways of engaging with our work that's definitely true and then there's the environmental stuff and some of that might be what's going on with your life and what's going on around you and how much time you've got and your personal circumstances and some of that might also be to do with how your writing's going you know it can environmental stuff can make a difference in terms of if you have if you do produce some writing you're probably going to feel maybe a lot of people might feel a bit better a bit more stable if they've done some writing if they're being productive whatever productive means to them and that goes back to the psychology of it maybe some people will feel validated if they get work published or win a prize or something maybe that will permanently change their self-image i don't know about that i certainly think imposter syndrome can't exist without a mismatch between internal experience and external experience and so 
we can see then actually success might increase the sense of imposter syndrome because it is pushing up only one of those metrics, which is it is increasing your visibility. It's increasing your achievements by which other people will judge you, but it doesn't necessarily, it does not necessarily follow that your internal perception and your internal experience will change. It might do, you know, you, and, and we think it will, of course. Like, of course, we think when I win this prize, if I, will, if I were to win this prize, I don't think I will, but if I were to win this prize, this award, this accolade, if I were to be accepted onto this bursary, if I were to have my work shortlisted, if I were to be published in this magazine, if I were to be chosen by this agent for them to read some of my work, if I were to get this nice bit of feedback where I'm rejected, but they say, hey, keep going. I actually think what you've done here is good. Maybe that surely... It will follow as night follows day that my self-perception will grow. Well, it might do. But also for many of us, and I don't know whether this is true of you, but you will have a few baselines, baseline beliefs, and your mental filters, your psychic judo that your mind performs all the time in terms of confirmation bias is quite artful i'm imagining because there's we we don't we don't weigh every proposition equally do we we, we the first thing we do if if somebody is making a statement to you about the world or you have an automatic thought in your head is we consider the source who's saying this do i like them are they a person like me do I consider you know if, if if someone says something if a statement about the world is said and it comes from the mouth of say a politician who uh, you don't generally agree with their party's ideology you are probably not going to weigh that statement that assertion of fact with the same with the sort of care, you're not going to accept it in the way that you would if you heard that statement from somebody who you did tend to agree with and thought was pretty cool and they seemed switched on and smart, right? If someone who said you feel is switched on and smart makes a statement and you go, oh, that's hot. I did, didn't think that was correct. You're going to weigh that statement a lot more. It's going to sit with you. You're going to assess it a lot more. And, and, and we ha And this... See, and we're so good at this that we do it almost automatically. And if you have a perception of yourself not really being worthy of writing, then if you get accepted, you'll go, oh, that's exciting. And then you might go, you might start having thought, well, I, but I don't like this thing that I've written. I didn't think it was that good. Maybe the person is wrong. Maybe the person is just being nice. Maybe they say this to everyone. They say, oh, can I see your next few chapters? And then they, then, then they turn it down. They realise it's crap. Maybe there weren't many people who applied for this competition. Maybe the con contest was judged by someone who didn't really know what they're doing. Maybe this piece of work I wrote was all right, but it was kind of a fluke and everything else I write isn't very good. Maybe I've lost it now. Maybe it's gone to my head. Maybe that was my best work because it came out of a very specific set of circumstances. But there's no reason that I, 
the vessel from which this story poured forth should have any more of those in me there's no re there's no logical reason i mean i have something of a process but i don't really remember how i wrote that story i just sat down and i guess the idea came to me and now i've used that idea so is there any particular reason why i should be able to repeat it very quickly you can perform a bunch of blocks wrist holds and throws that transform any threat to the status quo of your self-perception into a one-off right now maybe repeated drip 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 of positivity and affirmations and career success and stuff maybe over time that can wear down the rock like a drip of water sort of slowly wearing through stone maybe but what is going on there? This is what I want to talk about. It's like, why? It's like, oh, am I secretly not a writer? Why is that such a threatening thought? Oh, am I secretly? Am I getting away with it? Here's the thing, right? Isn't it quite fun to... Like, quite a lot of authors are twats. Quite a lot of literary parties are, are, are full of, uh, excuse me, toffs and weird art perverts. It's, <laughs> would you want to be one of them? Or do you want to be the three raccoons in a trench coat, you know? Do you want to be the outsider who has conned their way in because these people are rubes and burks and you've pulled one over on them. I loved your, loved your latest novel, darling. A real work of genius. Yes, I could see immediately. And you're there going, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. And you go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I loved the, uh, the leitmotif uh, that ran through the uh, second, third the, the 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 sense of uh, mourning for the the gilded age yeah that was uh, deliberate thank you i'm just going to have some more of the this these uh, free canapes uh, cheers and i'll take your paycheck like fuck them why would why do we why oh can i be a real author i want to be a real author who gives a shit like no like it's not a particularly respected profession we like the idea that maybe we could work on our own lots of people desire the author lifestyle but they desire the author lifestyle from a place of complete ignorance they don't know actually what's involved in the day-to-day -day life of an author they just imagine that you get to go to readings and then maybe you get to sit at a typewriter and go tick tick on the decking in a, 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 a New England country house. I don't know. I don't know where where the stereotypes are of writers writing. But look, like, who gives a shit? None of my friends like me because I'm an author. I, I think it's probably one of my least attractive qualities. P people I hang out with like hanging out with me for me. Because there's nothing else on offer, right? And it's like, what does it add to you to, to bolt this identity author 
auntie why 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 is it important to you to be able to for legitimacy and validity in this particular paradigm you know like what what as gen it's like why do you need it and it's like well i want to make it feel like my life is worthwhile okay your life is worthwhile like you are intrinsically wonderful you are royalty you are a a deva you are a, a a god wandering around this world you know in the universe we might be some of the only we might be the only instance of sentience of matter being able to look back at itself and perceive what it is and have thoughts about itself we might be the the blinking eyes of the dreaming god that is the universe that have just bubbled up out of chance and to go around going oh but i've got to i've got i've got to have something go through the publishing industry i've got to put a book together otherwise otherwise what am i it's just silly you know i i i get it i felt it i'm not saying and i'm better than you because i've never felt that i have but it's it's buffoonery I've, I've, I've got to have this particular Pokemon gym badge. Because why? I don't know, because we're sort of so sort of drunk and hypnotised by the game that we forget to kind of come round and, and blink and look up and go, whoa, fuck, where am I? Oh, oh I, was, I was thinking for a second that it was important that I got validation from reviews or the literary establishment it it's not you can go for that you know i play board games all the time and someone could legitimately say to me why are you spending time doing that it's not important no it's not but i enjoy it i I don't think when i sit down and i i play i don't know like tammany hall i don't think that i'm the stakes are control of mid 19th century new york I don't think that, yeah, I understand that it's just a game, but I'm able to sort of joyfully dive into this magic circle, this discreet and subtly and beautifully altered reality. And it it creates, it's a completely different possibility space. And it's the activity itself is fun and it's engaging and it's immersive and I like it. But I'm not doing it. The, the least fun I've ever had playing games is when I, I'm in tournaments. I have enjoyed one or two tournaments. But a lot of that contest side of it, I where there is some kind of cachet around who wins, it, it is not fun to me. And I'm not attacking anyone who enjoys tournaments. If you like them, if you like how it challenges you, and and if some bits are painful, but you feel like it's worth it in the same way as, you know, you can run a race and there's bits where your legs are aching and you're like, Ugh, and you, but you achieve something and that feels meaningful to you, then go for it. And I, I think, I think again, this is like the question of like meaningfulness, isn't it? That the imposter syndrome doesn't really address because it's a question of being and it's a question of personhood and it's a question of ontology you know the nature of yourself rather than 
of teleology, you know, of direction, of moving towards a target. This idea that you just can become a static author and then you have achieved, it's like a class that you unlock and you get a special, you know, you get a special costume and you, you put, put enough ranks into writing to, to get to become an author. No, that's crazy. It's like, it's such a crazy model for how we should approach our writing life are you an author who gives a shit i i think some of the most embarrassing people i've ever encountered really 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 buy into their identity as a poet or an author and I, I don't like calling people sort of cringy or embarrassing because it's essentially it's a personal problem that one is projecting onto them. I'm saying I feel I would feel shame for that. I feel embarrassment because I feel fearful of what you're risking by the way you're acting. And I want to shut you down partly out of a sort of damaged and twisted sense of protecting you from the group but partly also to shut down the feelings it brings up in me. But there's a certain type of media person who really wouldn't for a second consider that they were anything less than brilliant and carry themselves with a huge sense of entitlement. And it drives me bananas when I see other people talking about that as if it's something that you'd want to emulate as if the direction we should be going is all moving towards these swanning, self-important plonkers and not towards a sense of humour about ourselves and holding our identity as artist, as writer, very, very loosely as something that's almost meaningless and instead talking about what we're writing. You know, ironically, the people who are most comfortable as authors are the ones who are least anxious about preserving that status. I've probably talked about this before, but I remember I was in a an Indian restaurant in Worthing, I think it was, years ago. And on the next table along from us, there were some guys chatting and they were talking and they were saying, one of them was saying, and I'm not doing an accent. It was his, it was genuinely, his accent was probably even more extreme than this, but he was, he was saying, and the thing is, he, he asked me, he said, Christopher, you must be in the production. You must be in the production. We need you, darling. And I said, I, I just can't on that salary. I said to him, I said, you'll have to find somebody else. He said, well, please, please, I'm begging you. Just if you could just come along to the audition and just to make up the numbers. Uh, so we, we at least have the appearance of having some choice. And I said, oh, I said, all right, all right, I will. I, I, I will. And I thought I'd just go along and, and throw it, you know. But you, you can't do a bad performance, can you? You, 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 you can't do a bad performance. The instincts kicked in 
and he said, Christopher, we must have you. That was sensational. Everybody loves you. And and they raised, they raised the salary for, for, for me. And uh, you just become the part. And anyway, after a lot uh, and lots of mmms and ums and very, very actory discourse, it turned out the part he was talking about was Captain Hook in the Christmas Panto. And I think pantomime is a a wonderful tradition it brings happiness to a huge amount of people i'm not doing it down at all or cocking a snook at it but i wonder if their performance of being actors there it felt like they were performing a exaggerated stereotype of lovey actors and I wonder whether that was partly out of a sense of insecurity at the kind of roles that they were doing. Because some people might sneer at actors in Panto. I wouldn't. I think it's, like I say, it's a, a, a culturally relevant form of theatre that brings joy to people. Like, w- w- I can't see anything wrong with that at all uh but for these people i wonder whether they didn't always feel like actors or like proper actors and so they felt they had to lean into actor talk to try and self-soothe really and mollify themselves and and that's kind of fine, but I think you've got to know that's the game you're playing when you start talking about imposter syndrome. It's, being a writer is whatever the fuck you want it to be. It's not like something that existed before humans. It wasn't on. It wasn't graven into onyx tablets that we we dug up from a alien civilization that existed on the earth before. It's a set of norms that's in constant state of negotiation. I don't feel like a writer, people will say. How, how the fuck do you think a writer should feel? And how would you know if you've not been a writer? How many, how many professional writers do you hang out with? And not just hang out with, as in, I, oh, like I, I, I saw them do a reading or I watched a, read an interview with them or I read a, a, a piece that they wrote for a magazine or in one of their books or I listen to an interview with them like how many writers do you actually see when the they've punched off the clock you know when they're actually writing in their room when they're in their house when they're avoiding writing because that's being a writer and you don't have access to that you don't even have access to their first drafts or you you get access sort of ter- in a tertiary level you get sometimes their 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 jokey accounts of how a process might go their remembered thoughts about it. But at the same time, they're still trying to sell you themselves as a writer, right? And not, I'm not, uh, I'm not declaiming them for that. I'm not saying that's a, a bad thing, but they still want you to buy their books. Few writers or authors will talk about their writing process and go, and I'm shit at it. And at the end of it, I wasn't happy. They'll generally be trying to say, you know, it was a difficult process. So you think that I'm virtuous and worthy because I'm just like you guys. 
I, I found it hard, relatable. And but it was got there in the end. And here's my wonderful moments of inspiration, which I'm sure is sincere, but it's a confection as well. It's a form of myth making. And we're storytellers. All human beings are. And, and, and we sand off the rough edges and we make everything a bit more of a pleasing narrative. We miss things out. and We misremember things. I've, you know, been working on books and saying I'm having a rubbish time. And my wife has said, you, you were like this with the last one. You're like this every time. And I was like, no, the last one was much easier than this. And she said, no, it wasn't. (laughs) You're exactly like this. You never remember how difficult it was. And I can either go, fuck you. I think I know, you know, I can, I can fold my arms and maybe privately. Sometimes when she said that, I've I've walked away going, well, she knows how much you know, but and and kind of grumbled like Muttley, frozen, frozen. And then, you know, I sit in my room and I go, fuck. I, I suspect that she's got a little bit of an insight in this that I don't. But your basis of what a writer looks like is really just a, a, a not very deeply interrogated. I'm assuming, right, that it's a not very, if, you, if you're honest with yourself, it's a not very deeply interrogated stereotype you, that you've developed over years via osmosis and, and vibes, really. You've just gone, hmm, what do I feel like a writer's like? And, and, and we have lived, I mean, it's it, it's getting mildly better, but we live with the legacy and the ongoing effects of a publishing industry and a culture that is deeply racist, misogynistic, transphobic, homophobic. We live, ableist, we live in a society that has classist, systematically excluded a whole bunch of people from access to not just... It's, it, and it's not just about access to, like, agents and the publishing. It's not just about who gets prizes, even. It's, it's about who has the time to write who has the financial cushion to underwrite time spent writing i mean i think tolkien you know with lord of the rings did he you know he's created one of the great works of modern english literature i think it's deservedly celebrated and still enjoyed his work right but he didn't have a lot else to like he had servants he had a wife he was a professor but he was able to take his time he was financially stable and he earned everything he you know he went and he studied languages he went and he fought in the first world war he stuff that he wrote about and then he spent ages writing the book he he i'm not saying he didn't work it and that all you know he so many people write about war and so many people write about war in fantasy we talk about authenticity right we talk about this idea that you 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 shouldn't tell other people's stories you shouldn't glibly borrow from things but the number of people who will write about war who will write about fighting will write about someone risking their lives and and have never been in that situation and who are 
appropriating war, essentially, to spice up their own narratives. If we want to go there, right? Like, and this is someone who who who, who was there and whose friends died. But he was able to do all that because he had this huge, huge van load of, of privilege, right? Of support, of financial, social, all of these things. All of the people around him. Servants, women, people doing stuff that allowed him to get on and write. And so when we think of a writer, we might think of someone like, you know, I think a lot of people, they think, oh, what's a writer like? What's a writer like? Mm. And they and they end up thinking of, you know, maybe Tolkien or, or Neil Gaiman. You know, they think of a sort of mostly agreeable white middle class male. And I don't, I don't have any, a pro, I I am in that category, right? I'm a, I'm a white cis middle class male. I have friends who fit into that category as well. They they are lovely people who I I I, I want to cuddle uh, with their consent heartily, but not so much that it makes them feel uncomfortable. I I, I don't I'm not digging at anyone, but I'm just saying your sense of your sense of imposter syndrome may often be internalised prejudice and bigotry from living in a society that does not value everyone's contribution equally and sets up barriers, some visible, some invisible. The amount of creative writing education, can creative writing be taught? Absolutely. Can everyone access creative writing education equally no it's often hugely expensive you go for like a week's residential course sometimes there are bursaries or things like that but it's it's hundreds and hundreds of pounds right and then education getting time off work who's going to look after your children if you have children who's going to do you who's fucking paying for this well if that's why those courses are often largely populated by older middle class white people who kind of it's or retirees you know to lounge around and do it and i'm sure that they're no less sincere as writers but they have access to that because of their money and then it, this is just naturally reflected in who then the publishing industry can open up all sorts of diversity initiatives into who it tries to put the books it tries to publish and who it grants awards to and in who it hires to be the editors and agents but so many of those jobs to get into them you need to live in london and then do internships or work experience that's like either almost no money or unpaid how are you supposed to pay a London rent while doing that? Well, while searching for those jobs, how are you supposed to get in? Well, a lot of the people do that by being the children of well-off middle-class people who already live in London so they can live with their parents while they do that and have the whole process underwritten. And so the cycle continues because the pool of applicants 
for jobs that are, you know, they, they corralled themselves like quite a pleasant working environment in terms of lunches. I'm I, publishing industry people. I love you so deeply. Please do not take offence. But it, it's true. I feel uncomfortable and out of place when I'm in publishing circles because I'm keenly aware that I may be middle class, but of course the middle class in the UK is striated into lower middle and upper middle class. And I am, am very, very much in the lower middle class tier of that. And I'm happy being there, but the class system in the UK is just like an, in, an invisible religion that floats around everyone and, 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 and we just we just move through it like fish through murky water barely aware of these things where people higher on the class spectrum are just like your they're just like your teacher like you're just always at school and they're your teacher and hi miss <laughs> yeah and, and they, they get to say things down to you and you go oh interesting hmm. and you always feel younger than them even though even though now i'm older than some of those people it's fucking crazy. And that's where a lot of things is just like, and, and, and that's the often the target we're going for is like, why don't I feel more like these, ridic these ridiculous stereotypes of what an author is? Why don't I, why aren't I marching up and down, clutching a quill and, and, and pinching the bridge of my nose, waiting for inspiration? Because those people don't fucking exist. And if they did, why on earth would you want to be like that? Be you. Be you. Make what a writer is different. Make the world change around you. Fuck everyone else. You, you, the, the, the publish, you owe the publishing industry nothing. They've done shit for you. Stop kowtowing to them and being like, oh God, will everyone accept me? Fuck everyone. Fuck them. You, 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 they've, they've done nothing to deserve your, your desperate forelock tugging. You are the only person who can write what you want to write. And, and moreover, all of this grand canon of Western literature or whoever you want to throw, it, that can no longer produce work because they're dead. You're not. Shakespeare cannot produce another play ever. Well, obviously with the coming of AI, maybe. But um, Dickens, may, you know, what's Dickens going to write next year? Fuck all. He's dead. You're not. You can create stuff. You can still, you are still existing on the, on the bleeding edge of time. You're on the nice edge of time as it moves forward. Right? That's fucking crazy. Now, Imposter syndrome bollocks. You can absolutely make a commit yourself to excellence. Go, I want to do this for me. I want to make my work the best it can be. That's a process. It's not an identity. Then the only question is, am I living the process? Am I looking at my work and doing what I need to do to make it better? What If I wanted to make my work better, what would I do? That's a question with an actionable response. Okay, fuck. Um, I, I'll 
maybe read a little bit more in the area that I want to write in, or maybe uh, pick three peers who seem to have been friendly to me, writing peers, and say, look, I can... I was wondering if we'd be able to be accountability buddies or you'd be able to, you know, if I send you 100 words every now and then, you could give me... I don't even really want to critique. I just want a little bit of encouragement. I don't know what it, that looks like for you. How can I... I Can I read some books on composition? Can I go and, and read Strunk and White's The Elements of Style? You don't have to agree with everything in it. You, in fact, you won't, but it, it can just be nice to make yourself conscious of creative writing. Can I pick up a, a copy of the um, Reader's Digest Reverse Dictionary secondhand and, and get that so I've got some spot research ready for when I'm writing something? Can I go and, 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 and reread? What's my favourite book? Can I go and reread that? And, and actually this time have a pencil ready. And if I can't bear to write in the book itself, make notes in a little notebook next to it and go, what is good here? What's a good sentence? What's a moment where I go, that's fucking cool. And why do I like it? You can do that, right? You can do that. And that's not about identity. It's not about am I in alignment with this constellation of arbitrary bullshit because that's what it is it's just like how am I, how how my author vibes at the moment oh don't feel right yeah well maybe that's the society's fault i am telling you to blame society right but i'm not saying you don't have personal responsibility to make your writing better but your writing making your writing better is nothing to do with being an author do you know who writes fucking shite books it's the old white men who were like fated in the 80s and 90s as the great white hopes of British literature, right? They are writing shocking work right now. Fucking lazy, just, just dog shit. And it still gets published, right? And I do not think for a second that those people worry about whether they are real writers. They do not have imposter syndrome. And that is why the whole thing is horseshit. That's why you shouldn't care. Because they're because the fucking moment you're just like, I'm a writer, I'm just gonna I, I'm an I'm an author, therefore anything I produce is gonna be worthy of other people reading it. That's when you're just going to become a dog shit factory. You're going to... Nothing that you do is going to be good. You lose your engagement with the community. You lose your you lose your humanity. You lose your sense of humour about your own work. You don't feel like a writer because you're not like writers who've come before. Because, you've, because you fucking care. Because you know what you like. Because you've read books and you've gone, oh, I, this is great. And because maybe you you aren't interested in 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 reaching under the table and and ticking, tickling the nutsack of the establishment, right? You actually go, you know what? I want to write something for me that doesn't exist, or I want to recreate this thing that I experienced for other people. I want to do my own spin on it. I I want to live in this world. I want to extend this world, and, I, and I, I'm doing it because I care about it. Not to wank off some professor somewhere. Like, I may, maybe some of you are going to write some deeply academic 
work that really has big themes and that's awesome but in in the beginning it comes from love and 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 love doesn't come from continually looking in the mirror and the reason that a lot of these older authors or the old white authors don't look in the mirror because they have no fucking reflection that's why because they would just see the room behind them like don't do this to yourself you know it's fine we can have the conversation because it's not an easy one about like how do i make my writing better we can do that we can do that that's a legit question i'm not saying you are a, that everything you write is gold dust it's not some of what you write is a bit shit that's fine yeah you you, you are prone to cliche that's fine it doesn't make you not a writer because being an author isn't a thing it's just a set of arbitrary norms and stereotypes. And trying to squeeze yourself into the horrible person-shaped crevice in the rock is just going to end with you horribly mangled. Don't do it. Don't do it. This hole isn't for you. Let's have fun with our writing and let's write because we care about it. And if you want to ask yourself a question, don't ask. Am I a real writer? Ask. How can I make my story as good as I can? Whoa, what a tub-thumping little sermon there. That's in the Bible, ladies and gentlemen. Look, I hope you've enjoyed that. If you like the show and you'd like to uh, help me keep the lights on, you can go on to my coffee page. That's ko-fi.com forward slash Tim Clare. Drop me a few beans. Um, it just helps me pay for hosting costs and things like that. Uh, thank you to everyone who's donated. I sure appreciate you. And it allows me to also just make everything free at the point of use. Um, you can also buy my book, uh, Coward, Why We Get Anxious and What We Can Do About It. That's my latest book. It's non-fiction. I think that it's quite funny in places, but it's also got some serious stuff about managing anxiety and panic attacks. It's not a self-help book. It's more like a, a little romp through science and a bit of memoir and a bit of, I, I don't know. There's there's some there's some monkeys on peyote in there, and also if you'd like to join us on the Death of a Thousand Cuts Discord server, you can get on there. You can chat with other writers. You can share your work. You can talk about publishing. You can um, find beta readers for your work. You can even talk about this very podcast, or you can talk about what you're reading. It's up to you. Um, but um, I'll leave a invitation in the show notes in the description for today's episode, or you can just. Uh, you can just Google Death of a Thousand Cuts Discord and I'm sure that you'll find a, a, a link there where you can click it and join it. You'll need the Discord app, but it's basically just a little messaging app and it's very nice there at the moment and people are nice. That's it. That's today's episode. I'm all done. Thank you for listening to me. To me. Thank you for bearing with me. Uh, I hope that was useful to you. If it wasn't, I hope it was entertaining. And if it was neither of those things, then thank you for sticking with me 
despite having learned nothing and enjoyed nothing. What a virtuous and polite person you are. Take care of yourself. And I hope you have a wonderful week of writing. <laughs>